0: Well, people, brothers, and sisters, welcome. This is for Mortal Coils. Uh, today, we have the issue of morality. How do we decide what is right and wrong? Are we able to articulate why we behave the way we do? Um, tonight, specifically, we are wondering if there's an objective standard by which all humans can be measured or be moral beings. Do morals apply to everyone, in other words? I will begin by introducing our people and I will ask them to answer a question on a scale of one to five, where one is complete, concrete, objective morals definitely exist. And number five is morals are completely relative. Go ahead and place yourself on that scale for me. All right. I'll introduce Trevor.
1: Okay, going first. Where on the scale is I don't know. Is that if you want to shorten my my response? That's that's as bad as uh, that's that's what I I can come up with. Uh the uh, short f- answer is, sitting
0: I, as usual. I mean, we can't expect anything else. So I guess a 3.
1: That That's fair. That's fair. I deserve that. <laughs> Very good.
0: <laughs> oh, All man. right. Uh what about Brayton?
2: Uh can I hear the what's what's the end of the spectrum again? <laughs>
0: Yeah. So one is, you know, objective morality and five is, um, uh, complete objective, uh, you know, relativism.
2: Okay. Uh, to me, I don't believe there is any objective morality, so I'm probably closer to a five. However, I, okay. I don't know. I feel like I have sort of a unique, not unique as in I'm the only person who, uh, leans towards this way. Uh, but unique in the sense that it's, uh, kind of combines both I think that morality is completely subjective uh however, it can become objective once people agree upon a uh foundation or a framework
0: okay, and lastly uh besides myself, we have tenor
3: uh I'd say I'm somewhere around uh two while two. I have some understanding that we do define. Most morality for ourselves, I would like to think that there is a genetic or biological way in which we are sort of programmed to act and function with each other in a way that promotes the, the, the expansion of
0: the species, if that makes any sense.: I got you. Okay, well, those are introductions. I'll go ahead and go ahead and give my score. This is Steve speaking, your moderator. I am on a two with Tanner. I think that he and I share more opinions than we would like to admit, so in general, I want to uh address some questions if you guys don't mind. You know we can do them in any order i mean they're not they're not in any order specifically. What about one for Brayton let's say okay that, or at least to get us started off if you believe in relative morals or personal morals. What are yours and how did you get there?
2: Sure. Uh, so I won't even beat around the bush on this because I uh, I want to give credit where credit is due. My personal uh, outlook for how I frame my morality, I got from our, our good friend Matt Dillahunty. Or at least I'll put it this way. He explained it in a way that helped me realize I, that I feel like that was already direction that I leaned toward. I just didn't know how to describe it, if that makes sense. So for me, it was always kind of based around this foundation, but listening to him talk about different things, he's got a great lecture on uh, the superiority of secular uh, secular morality that's available on YouTube. For me, my personal moral system is completely uh, built around well-being, human well-being. So I believe that uh, for any for any action or event or whatever you want to call it you can take that event and evaluate the effect upon human well-being and uh, determine whether or not it is good or bad or whatever terms you want to use relative to that foundation and determine whether or not it is moral immoral amoral yeah i don't know how much more further you want me to go (laughs)
0: Yeah, you're good. I mean, you know, open discussion as usual. I will say for anyone listening that uh, I believe Brayton has just encapsulated um, a small definition that some people may not be familiar with. Whenever we say amoral, we should mean that it exists outside the, outside the scope of morality. Would we agree?
2: Sure. Like, it, it, it does sure. not affect... I guess we could think of a good example, perhaps?
0: Um, I don't know. Uh, Something what we, could we
2: consider think? amoral?
0: Well, what I'm saying is like a moral action is a is what we would perceive as, say, a good one. And an immoral action would be one that we would perceive perhaps as a bad one. But an amoral one would be outside the scope. Is that true?
2: Right. So like... Like taking uh, a breath? Or maybe even saying, I don't know, like chocolate ice cream
0: tastes good. Yeah, there you go. It's not a moral issue.
2: Right. Um, but I guess if I was going to continue on from there... I would say that the reason that well-being is the foundation for my morality is because it is something that I think every living person, to a degree, a a very high degree, everyone can agree that they care about their own well-being for the most part. Obviously, that's a pretty... We can find examples where people are not acting in their best interest or people do things that are in direct conflict with their own well-being. But by and large, the vast majority of people on the planet are concerned with their own well-being. If they were not, they would not be here. Uh, I believe it's even, sort of like Tanner said, hardwired into us to preserve our own well-being. I think that if there is going to be any sort of foundation that we choose to evaluate actions by it should be our own well-being and by extension the well-being of others
1: so so here i have a question or, or like a distinction i'm thinking of now like so i haven't heard tanner speak yet but it sounds to me like the difference between your point of view and one that would be tanner's in this in this particular lens is uh, tanner views it as sort of this thing where it's like straight into the ground and like this is what you just described sort of wells up uh, from the very like root and uh, of uh, of what we are and while yours is much more it, it's not bolted to the ground uh, your morality sure it's useful and all that kind of thing but it's not bolted onto the ground there's no commandment there's no doctrine or, or there's not um, any sort of reason why we do the things that we do you just sort of selected on your own volition that this is what we need to do, and we need to recognize that it's all based upon our own volition and what questions we ask to presuppose answers.
2: Are you saying uh, uh, the one I'm talking about is not bolted to the ground?
1: Yes, I mean, that's what makes it relative, doesn't it? I mean, that's uh, right. the whole point of relativity compared to um, compared to what something Tanner would say. I mean, what we're talking about is uh, if it's bolted to the ground, that means you must necessarily follow it in such and such a way as it is. The word ordained is gross, you know, that wouldn't be the right word to use. But, but to use any <laughs> other means of existing outside of what is bolted to the ground is disadvantageous to you for all unilateral reasons all forms of evaluation mm. or at the very least of the most important reasons that that is that which is bolted to the ground is the moral base everything away from it is less moral than the things more moving towards the center of it and, and if i understand you correctly your your philosophy is is one that sounds very evolutionary biological useful but at the same time it's not bolted anywhere because it's not you don't have to do anything uh, it's it's hard to it's hard to think about it hard, it's hard to it's weird it's very strange right and, and before I go any
2: further talking about this I know I mentioned Matt Dillahunty earlier as where I got this from but by no means do I think that I am the perfect representation of uh, either his view on morality uh, because there are things I could say here that do not represent what he believes so basically I got ideas from him and so what I talk about on the podcast is not in any way an attempt to accurately portray his thoughts and ideas this is what i have come to a conclusion on based on you know my own thoughts my and God. consuming other
3: <laughs> other media formulating your own opinions <laughs> right
2: well you know in the you know these times you got to make things clear but uh yeah so <laughs> <laughs> to kind of come back around to what you're saying trevor yeah by no means uh, am i trying to stay, say that human well-being uh, or i guess better put I recognize in everybody sort of the innate nature of the human being, which is to survive and procreate and continue the species. That that seems to be innate in all of us, and so therefore, yeah, that's... Uh, therefore, that it is won't... something that I um... look at as somebody who does not believe that there is some objective morality out there floating that can be discovered. Think, uh... Yeah, what's up?
1: Well, haven't you just bolted it to the ground just now? I mean, by saying those words, you've bolted it to the ground. You've you've you say that the universe does this. Well, you can ascribe to it. Uh, once you remove words such as ordain and commandment and will, it seems to me that you've, you have still bolted it to the ground. You're just evaluating it and sort of uh, conceiving of it in different means. But nevertheless, it's still universal. You're using terms which universalize the, your form of existence. If you wanted to be relative about this, you should. Uh, I would instead think you would. You would think in terms of individuality. In terms of well, the way I think about things, just honestly speaking, is me, and what? and it's not. It's not what Tanner is, and it's not what Stephen is. There's something about me, the hue and color at which I play this game of morals and all of these things, is different from everyone else, and that's relativity. But instead, it sounds to me like you've like um, you've bolted it to the ground and you've shown that it's something unilaterally shared across all human beings.
2: Right, that's the point is because I do believe that morality is subjective. Uh and so I look for something to create an objective morality out of because obviously if we have all of these millions of people living on the earth and everybody's got their different idea of a moral framework, obviously we're going to have a hard time making moral evaluations. So I look for something that we all share in common the most. Uh, and that is but why. It's... Mm, I mean, I w- I would think it hard for us to point to any significant portion of human beings on the planet who would say that they don't care about their own well being.
0: But it is sure. still subjective. So, so. Like at is this it not? at this point, um, Trevor, you know, you've you've had a good uh, comeback <laughs> to that. I would like to hear from Tanner for certain. Mm. You
3: rephrase the question you pro, uh,
0: posed to Brayton, could you? Well, uh, oh. what I mean mm. to say is like. They they keep name-dropping you a bunch, and I want to know what you think as well. So Trevor is suggesting that moral relativism is completely, as he says, unbolted to the ground. And Brayton is saying that we can maybe amalgamate a, an objective morality... Taking out into consideration
3: terms. that all morality is completely and totally relative is ignoring many facets of human interaction and behavior that has been present since the dawn of society as a whole. I mean, there are at least a few general ideals shared across pretty much all societies to ever exist on the face of the earth. You know, like the preservation of human life, the sanctity of, like, law supporting the procreate um, <laughs> supporting procreation <laughs> um, supporting the furthering of the species etc etc I mean I'm sure, sure there are some niche examples of things that would go against this you know insert the uh, logical extreme cannibalism or etc etc saying all things moral about us our relative is just ignorant of some pretty prevalent
0: standard uh, given truths that we tend to obey. My, my, my number one question was if you believe in objective morals could you generalize them? And I guess that now is the perfect time to ask you. I mean like uh, don't feel put on the spot but uh, we would like to know if you could just say perhaps even just one thing. Perhaps even just the most important thing.
3: Well... I wouldn't say I believe all morality is objective, but I will say there is a foundation that, at the very least, a lot of cultural or social morality for humans, a lot of human morality exists upon, like a few core tenets that we seem to all obey, in a sense. Obey or enjoy. Yeah. Okay. uh, All right, from that we develop more niche things, more cultural nuance based on different tradition, etc cetera, etc, cetera. but I do believe there is a foundation from which all moral thought is derived, and that foundation is in part uh, what what would Dawkins say mimetic
0: well brayton, what do you think?
2: well it sounds to me like and I, I don't know if maybe it's some of the words I was using but I mean what Tanner said I heavily agree with I'm, I am I don't mean to come across as though, though I'm arguing for any sort of moral relativism like just because somebody's culture has been doing something for some way or whatever that that makes it right I'm just saying that they've got their own subjective you know cultural framework uh, and something that I haven't mentioned yet is that we can absolutely take different moral frameworks and compare them for example one of the go-to cultures when talking about morality is uh nazi germany everybody that's the go-to example for everything let's be honest uh but we can look at nazi germany and say something was wrong with their morality i think we can all agree with that moral decisions were made that were not in certain people's best interests We could say when talking about moral relativism that what they were doing was great for Germany or great for Hitler or great for the German people or whatever, however you want to frame that. Uh, However, it was not very good for the Jewish people. It was not very good for many other European peoples. In some instances, it was not even good for some of the German people. And so we can recognize that there's an issue there. Uh, And we can compare the morality of Nazi Germany, however you want to write that up, to a framework that is centered around human well-being and we can determine that what was going on in the third reich was in no way good for human well-being and determine that this is completely immoral so just trying to hmm. pull out a little bit more of that Uh, and you can apply that for any other competing moral framework and i believe that a you know secular humanist Moral framework centered around human well-being and human flourishing is the best moral framework that exists in our time. Of course, it requires a multitude of people to agree upon that as a foundation. Otherwise, you run into conflicts, such as people who claim that moral morals are deemed by God or something else.
3: I'd go as far as to say there's a filter against societies that would have a non-humanist moral belief.
1: You know, I, I sympathize with both of your opinions. Uh, from my perspective, it seems like you have the same opinion. It doesn't seem to me that there's very much variance between the, uh, between those two perspectives. They seem both extremely. Uh, I, I would argue these opinions myself. If if given the particular structure of an argument and somebody there giving a contrary position, uh, I could see myself making these points. But but I have to say, I, I, one of the most scary things uh, that I've experienced in my uh, in my life. Is, is the fear of not being sure if what I consider to be the most important things, the most crucial elements of who I necessarily am, uh, are true, uh, have efficacy, if, if exists unilaterally across all things and for all time. Uh, that is to say, the, the unimodal, unilateral nature of my morality. Uh, this is something I've feared, my, my, uh, as far back as I've ever thought about these things. It's something I've feared you know because you go to places like if you find yourself interested in history uh, you find yourself looking all the way back to things like uh, to civilizations like the assyrian empire or the aztecs or the what are they called it makes no difference uh, i'm listing specifically civilizations that existed people in them were born uh, they lived and they died doing things that you and i would consider uh, reprehensible now, uh, these right. raise questions are are these outliers of a norm that is to say is there like a normative if you were to run a scatter plot it's significant this scatter plot you know x against y you you throw this scatter of different morality systems and everything seems to move towards this, this significant line in the center which is our morality system or not are we ourselves just another outlier uh, if there is one uh, I, I mean to say all these things to unfacet you from your current position Because I don't think that this perspective is entirely useful. Uh, I think in a century or two's time, uh, for example, here's an example for you. The way that I think it's moving right now, I do think that the four of us, at some point in the the future, I don't know when, and I don't know for how long, the four of us will be seen of as disgusting. uh, Specifically for this reason. And this is going to sound very strange at first. Because the four of us aren't vegan. That's one. Think of oh. it like this. Think of it like this. And I, and I want to break this open a little bit, and then, uh, uh, and then I'll finish talking. Uh, think, of it, think of it like this. Uh, let's say you're in a room. Uh, like Let's say there's some sort of Star Trek apparatus or device that can sort of um, create any sort of food in front of you, whatever it is you want. And you have two different options. You have a steak that was manufactured by the slaughter of a cow, or you have something that's sort of energized, and it tastes exactly the same. And you have to ask yourself, well, which one do you choose? And if they taste identical, and you always choose the one that's energized because, because, then is there something necessarily wrong with uh, eating the former? What well, Does that necessarily mean that the four of us live in a morality-based system where we are completely desensitized to one form of morality damage, to which in the future we will be evaluated according to those terms, and thereby be completely, utterly aside is disgusting people and completely disregarded in the same way that you three and I view slave owners or anything of that sort. I do believe that the four of us are, are not quite as good as we seem in that in that sense.
0: So I'd like to hop in just a little bit here. For one, Trevor, I completely and totally agree that, uh, you know, given enough time, we we will all seem as odd to those who come after us now hopefully they will say that we made an honest attempt at at, uh, at some version of being moral beings but it leads me to the next question you know it, it's it's a seamless transfer so feel free to keep talking about it but just to kind of keep us on track my question here is why do moral systems conflict in other words uh you know past present or future well why why do moral systems conflict in the first place i should tell you where this question comes from tanner and i uh just on the on the face of it would probably share a lot of the same opinions we have a biological drive to continue our genes and and so on and and a lot of this a lot of this is what we would bolt to the ground as trevor said uh moral systems from there you wonder why do moral systems conflict?
2: Well, oh my gosh, I just love where this conversation's going already. It's so good. Mo- <laughs> Morality is just such a flexible topic. But going going to Trevor first because I do I do want to talk about why do we have problems between frameworks? Again, absolutely agree with Trevor on the whole veganism thing and probably many other things. I don't think I'm the only one here who, uh, well, I may, I could be, I don't know, uh, that would be under the impression that our morality has absolutely evolved over time. Uh, Surely
0: everyone can agree with that.
2: Uh, right. I mean, just, just as in some of the examples I was talking about earlier, you know, we've had societies of human beings in the past who uh, were cannibals. Not in any zany, crazy way, like you see in the movies, but they just ate other people. However, that was for whatever reason not sustainable, or you know, just sickening, or how what you know made them ill in that sense, and was not sustainable, and therefore we do not have those societies anymore. And you have the same thing for numerous other things, which is how natural selection has brought us here uh, in things that do not work, do not work, and do not continue. So absolutely, with the whole veganism thing and stuff like that, like I, I walk into the grocery store, I kind of sit there, amongst my lacking of vegan options in the area in which I live, and think about stuff like that all the time. Like, will people look at me, you know, in two hundred years and go, "What an absolute idiot!" Uh, and I and I see some of the people that I like to listen to and and, and read their material, and I. I see them talk about it, or I see them, uh, you know, announce they've become vegan. And it just makes you think twice. Like, honestly, if I gave it some concrete thought and put my head towards it, I would probably be a vegan. I'm probably right now just too ignorant and too lazy to actually apply myself, which is, of course, why in this discussion I've been using human well-being as the foundation uh, to emphasize the fact that this only pertains to other human beings not i don't you know i don't know the first thing about a vegan's moral framework if if that would be you know all human beings and animals or all human beings and conscious you know that's a whole nother box to open uh yeah
3: i mean your your point of view is going to be naturally human centric
2: right you know for me to extend sort of the points that have been made already about how I think human well-being is a good go-to because of those innate ideals and that innate survival instinct and need to procreate and otherwise it would require an extra step for me to include other animals that are not a part of my species or other you know I understand that I I don't even like the Janes are an extreme example of people who have a very different moral framework uh, that i can't even begin to crack open but anyway turning turning over to what Stephen was saying about why do moral frameworks uh, what was the term you used conflict yeah why do they conflict i think maybe this is best answered with an example so one that would be easiest for me because i'm a you know, I I love to talk religion. Would be some sort of differentiation between myself and somebody who thought that God was the ultimate author of morality. We'll go with the Christian God for simplicity, and we could take What's something going? such as right. <laughs> take something such as uh, you know what we'll go with. Uh, we'll go with slavery. We'll use a, an older justification of slavery from the Old Testament from exodus or whatever which was used for you know slavery in the united states back in the colonial times and i say well my morality is based on human well-being so owning another human being as property is immoral uh nobody should be owned this violates uh, bodily autonomy and you know you shouldn't be able to beat your slave just because you want to so long as they don't die uh, and the uh, Christian says, well, no, or however you want to frame it, uh, Jewish person, Christian, it's sort of the same applicably. They say, well, this is the what's what's written in the Bible, this is a command given by God, and he says it's okay, so that's, that's it. So clearly we have two opposing moral frameworks, because I'm concerned about what's in the best interest of the slave, and they're concerned with what's in the best interest of God. I don't know how much further to kind of dive into that, but because our foundations well, are different, we have a conflict.
3: If I so could you're, maybe, yeah. what were you going to say, Stephen?
0: All I was saying is that just to encapsulate what you just said, and correct me if I'm wrong, but for those of us listening, I think that what Brayton is saying is that uh, the difference and why moral frameworks conflict is because a of difference of base
2: yeah, you have to have something by which to evaluate actions.
3: Right. Well, Tanner, if, you if you I to jump in? diverge a little bit. I don't think that maybe it's a difference of base so much as it is a difference of direction to go in. I'd say morality is started first and foremost from human selfishness things that would benefit the people of a, say, certain area the most to preserve the existence of those people. So take, for example, say we have two totally different groups of humans. One, like, in, say, the Amazon rainforest, and one, say, in the middle of the, like, Sahara Desert, huh? Hmm? In the Amazon civilization there's tons and tons of rainfall. So water is not a scarce resource. Mm. So from that you would expect them to, you know, not really treat water as a scarce vital resource. It's something to just be around, shared, used, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. However, you would expect more traditions around water to arise in the desert civilization. Because it is such a scarce resource that even sharing it with someone could be considered, like, an incredibly, like, sanctimonious moment, no? Like, preserved for, like, very, very important events and traditions and stuff. So, going from that, you could, say, a thousand years down the line, maybe see water rights. And maybe water being a protected resource by, like, a state you know, in the desert civilization more likely over the, say, Amazonian um, civilization in the same span of time, if that makes any sense.
1: It does. I, I I have one thought on that. So taking that form of evaluating in mind, what do you have to say about, and I don't mean to do this, but uh, I it's fun to bring up. Uh, something like the story of, like, uh, like the Good Samaritan. Uh, and there's the reason why I bring this up. So, if anyone who's not familiar, uh, it's one of the stories told by Jesus in the New Testament. Now, I don't uh, care about how people feel about Jesus, necessarily. I don't care about any of that stuff. But but the story meant a lot. Uh, well, let me tell the story first. So, uh, so, the story is essentially a Samaritan, which, if you don't know, is someone who is ethnically... Uh, not entirely distinct from, in the same way that you and I would view it, but distinct enough from uh, the people who uh, Jesus at the time would consider to be Hebrews or like people of of Jerusalem and that's and that subset of uh, of Judah. Uh, so somebody who's ethnically distinct, who nevertheless decides to help someone uh, at their own detriment and, and does so, and Jesus tells the story, and the story was so important, uh, so crucial that it has survived for two thousand years and is. Remained as one of those most quintessential stories that characterize the way that we now evaluate the morality system. Uh, You have to agree. I'm sure uh, that a lot of what our moral system has been guided by, whether for good or for worse, has been brought to us by, well, the people before us and people before before them. Uh, essentially, by what you might call like church fathers or, or religious leaders who have a certain level of spiritualism to them, and they bring this story to us. And obviously, it meant something to them. And in and in no small sense, it, it in a strange way it means something to us. And it, it kind of runs as a counterfactual to that claim because it's something of uh, it, it's essentially someone going out and, and helping someone who's not ethnically distinct from them, uh, going out and doing this thing. Uh, purely for the sake of well i love you i I love you and i'm going to help you at this moment i'm going to bring you through this moment and we're going to go through it and i'll treat you like i'll treat everyone and that's sort of weird and i gotta say christianity is so weird the the unilateral application of like this weird thing that they call like divine love that almost never works but nevertheless it it sits there as like on a pedestal the way that uh in a way that and characterizes the Christian ethos uh, to this day it's, it, it kind of runs counterfactually to that claim because it's important to people this perspective and it, it's not just helping people selfishly in your area either yourself or your uncle it, it's more than that, it's all of us
0: well, a potential um, rebuttal to that idea would be of course that um, uh, humans, humans are a common species uh, no matter what ethnicity they come from and of course uh we are capable of aggregating with various people um we do so on the daily here in america and being able to empathize with their situation and so on in other words there there are obviously evolutionary pressures to to empathize with your neighbor there have to be and so why not extend that to every neighbor and so on?
1: And you would say that that in particular model of evaluating rally is superior to the ones that preceded it. And therefore, it is the one that you see promulgated in places like the United States or really just across the world today. Uh, would you say that that's the essential claim that, uh, of the argument that we're making?
0: Well, you know, I would actually like to uh, differentiate there a little bit. Brayton talked about natural selection among the societal level earlier. And f- for those of us listening, I would like to say that I don't believe anyone in this um, uh, little chat here are social Darwinists. And if you're a social <laughs> Darwinist, you probably need to get your head looked at. Uh, you know, just just as a side <laughs> note, I think, I think what Brayton was trying to say and correct me of course if i'm wrong was that there are selectors there are pressures as to what societies live and which ones die
2: yes mm-hmm.
0: yeah so we could say we could say that because we're the newest society in a long string of history that we're the best we could make that claim but then we'd have to prove it
2: Right. I think a good thing for me to interject there and say is that uh, Mm. if I was arguing for my moral framework, I would say the societies that cared about human well-being are the ones that survived akin to the, you know, for example, uh, you know, cannibalistic tribes of people. Uh, We could obviously evaluate that they human well-being was not at their forefront uh, if they were, by whatever means, consuming their peers. So not by direct correlation, but obviously has something to do with they did not survive.
0: Right. So what I think Trevor is trying to say, and just to encapsulate it again, let's take another counterexample. Um, On this earth right now, if we were to say that our newest forms of morality are the best, well then, of course, logically, sometime in in that thought... You'd have to give thought to, say, North Korea. That is a hellscape that is, you know, engineered to benefit the well-being of one individual, not of the people that live there. So is that system just as valid as ours? In other words, what Trevor, I think, was trying to say is that today we're capable of charity just as we were 2,000 years ago. So what gives? Am I right on that?
1: Well, hmm. I meant more with to to bring up this whole uh, this whole point with the uh, Good Samaritan. Uh, mm.
2: This is my favorite thing to edit. Well, I, not that I edit it out, but it's my favorite thing to encounter. Uh, everybody's got their little quirks, <laughs> and Trevor <laughs> Trevor always has his little. Hmm. <laughs> I love it. It's great. <laughs>
0: Oh fuck! Uh, I'm well, afraid I don't I, have a very good answer is to, your, I, to your, your point or no?
1: Uh, I'm trying to encounter what my point was in this sense, but they don't quite—they don't quite touch off very well. I, I'd love for someone else to uh, pick up and make a different claim.
0: What I was saying is that you know, two thousand years ago, we were just as capable of charity as we are today, and if mm-hmm. we are to try and assert the claim that ours is best because it's newest. Then, why would not uh you know complete relativism um take over and say that you know somewhere like North Korea is just well, as valid as i, I want. mean
3: Steve I mean obviously we can't be fully relative because there are still always going to be some things we as a species all agree on huh? and that will inevitably make up the base from which everything is drawn huh? i don't think it's possible huh, with our collective thinking huh, to ever deviate huh, at least in the current form that it's in deviate from that basis huh, of the things that got us to this point huh? you know what i mean what, um,
1: what is the basis that you speak of
3: I wouldn't say it's any defined, like, strict set of things, because I'm sure that it will inevitably vary from group, I shouldn't say group to group, time period to time period. But what I'm getting at is there will always be, at the very least, some things that every existent society on the face of this Earth can agree on like, some core tenets to civilization, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Well,
1: well I I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure about that. Because if you can't list... Uh, I mean, if they deviate, then therefore it's not base. Uh, the whole point yeah. of if it's
3: base... Well, I'm not saying, like, <laughs> I'm not trying to ground myself, said... per se. I should probably... Admit well, if you true.
1: exist in... Sure. I mean, if you exist in the civilization and this base is something shared unilaterally across all civilizations throughout all totalitarity, whether it be before now, now, or as far as the universe is concerned forever, then you should be able to list them uh, as well as the myself and Brayden and, and Stephen. Uh, it should be something that's unilaterally shared between all of us, and they don't deviate.
2: Yes, I could definitely list a few. And this is another point in what? which I feel like Tanner and I are like two lines slowly approaching, slowly approaching a common. Let point. me
3: let me restate actually before we continue real <laughs> sure. quick. Um, it's mm-hmm. not that things are being added, but rather that things are being taken away as we continue onward. Like Absolutely. there okay. would be okay. no issue in the mind of a human being ten thousand years ago that it is necessary and acceptable to kill some animal for nourishment. But say a thousand years from this point, or even 10,000 years in the exact opposite direction, it might be incredibly archaic and barbaric to even think of killing some living creature for its sustenance.
0: I like that. I like the way you say things are being taken away. I think that the Mm. thing that is being taken away is the scarcity that you and I would talk about the most, Tanner. Just to interject a little bit here before Brayton goes on, Trevor has put together the ultimate question. You know, if you believe so strongly, you first, you know? If you believe so strongly, you should be able to label them, right? From just my perspective, before this meeting began, I've been guilty of saying um, the following that I'm only a moral, objective person. Like, I think that objective morality exists because, in general, the more liberty that a human has, the better the society ends up being. And, of course, you know, someone can say, well, you literally put in general there. Oh, well, of course I did. In other words, just because you are able to kill another human being does not mean you should be free to do so. You know, in other words, uh, your liberty ends where their liberty begins and so on. We've all heard that before. But I just, I feel like I have good reasons for saying that. In other words, in general, how much liberty you have as a human defines how well that society ends up being.
1: How do you feel about the proposition or the possibility that these things that you and I espouse are just elicited by our... uh... By this particular time and place, and I know we've already of discussed course, this. Of Morality they are. evolves, it, it changes, all you know, that kind of young. thing. Uh, yes, exactly, exactly. So, so it evolves. There's sort of a grid. It changes, uh, and we're moving towards something. We're sort of taking things away and taking things away, and we're getting more closer towards some sort of a uh, thing that is bolted. Basically, there's something that's bolted, but on top of it is a whole lot of straw that we have to push out of the way to find the thing that is yes. uh, firmly there. Uh, that's. It sounds to me like that's essentially what we're getting at. But but here's this worrisome thing. Here's the really scary thought about this. What if the things that we think right now, you and I, uh, the things that you and I are touching on, whether that be uh, liberty, which is very important to me, one of the most important, if not the most important thing that I can express on this podcast is, is liberty. But even then, liberty as well as the cessation of suffering, uh, that is to say what you and i have been espousing what i've mentioned uh this whole thing with veganism i think it's attached to that or or if you look at it from that thing with the from the human perspectives exclusively like brayton mentioned at the start uh, all of these things that we've mentioned so far what if they themselves are products of of our of our time and placidness here and now being re- i mean how do you characterize the united states you characterize them by these things I mean, these are these are fundamental attributes of the place that we're v- from, and I find it really concerning because I don't necessarily know if if there is such a thing. I don't know. I'm not sure. It's a good way of evaluating it, If it, is, and I, I find it interesting, but I don't know if it's true if there is something bolted underneath all of this straw. But if there is, I'm also thereby not sure. It would be a sort of a leap of faith to say that it is these things that you and I love so much you know I, I, i'm not certain of these things and i don't know if we ever uh, could be fundamentally speaking we'll never well, be able to fully remove all the straw and no
0: you're worried about <laughs> your argument um infinitely regressing that that's that's what you're yes. saying and mm-hmm. so it's a very valid uh problem to have in other words who's to say that Humans aren't actually just happier being completely subservient and slave-like to a certain degree in another version of reality, in another timeline. Don't you see where this problem is going? My rebuttal to that idea is that I don't particularly care. In other words, what-if-isms can be played forever, literally forever. And it just seems... It seems that in history and so on, the more the more general freedom that someone has, the better off they end up.
3: Real quick, um, I- future merchandise idea, um, a shirt with Steven's face <laughs> saying, my argument to that would be that I really just don't care.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I fully support it. I'll wear that shirt. <laughs> I'd wear it every day
0: you talking, Tanner. Mm. Are you talking about the exact one, the exact picture I have right now on my yes. little icon? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Specifically, that. No album, one else goodness. can see
1: it. No one else can see it. Not yet, but they'll see Not it eventually. Yet. I'm certain. <laughs> we have to. We but have to bring hopefully, some shit hopefully,
0: I'm making sense. In other words, like mm-hmm. we could, we could bring up some strange multiverse idea where it's like, oh, but this is slightly different. Unfortunately, we don't live in that one. We live in this one. Sure, yeah, sure. I but mean, doesn't if you that, want to find have scary more...
3: answers, ask scary questions. I mean, you can always find any niche rebuttal to any niche statement. You can, but
1: That's hasn't that just completely relativized?
3: As when we stop believing in them. sure,
1: sure, absolutely. But uh, both your claim, Tanner, that you just made, as well as what Steven said before that, don't they both completely relativize this entire system of thought? The fact that it's all, thereby performed into relativeness I mean, think about it like this. Think about like, like this. Um, no. If you ever are interested, fair enough. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> if you ever interested, <laughs> if you feel strongly, I, I highly advise you always say, you always say something. But if if you ever are interested, I still feel this way. If you're ever interested, if you go out and buy a uh, like a, a couple history books that I know, like one I got interested in was the history of Western philosophy from uh, uh, Bertrand Russell, and he does this thing that's really oh, yeah, interesting. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, he starts with, uh, like, um, you know, of course, like Thales, Miletus, and Heraclitus of Ephesus. You know, he starts early, 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 early Greek philosophy is where he decides to start. And he quite literally shows you the birth and death and then the rebirth and then the death again of many different ideas that keep arising and then falling apart again. You know, like Plato, somebody that everybody knows about, had ideas that you and I would be considered disgusting. For example, he considered all civilizations to be constantly in a state of degradation. And for that reason, he wanted the creation of an authoritarian, totalitarian state where nobody could think outside of what the whole wants. Now, isn't that disgusting? Isn't that something fundamentally against what you and I believe in? And yet, it died, and then it came back. And then it died again. And then it came back. I mean, you see it in Stalin before him. Or you see it in Stalin before us. And before that, you see it in the czars and before the czars you see it in the caesar it it keeps on coming back and people really seem to be into it people really feel the way that they feel when they act out this way of acting and behaving in reality i think you and i are a particular type of person a sort of conduit for particular sort of emotionality and way of conceptualizing reality and i think they are too i think they both exist i i think we're sort of we're kind of constantly circle back into each other again and again and again as as each one just keeps on iterating. And I'm not sure if looking at it in terms of concreteness is really the right way to look at it. Because uh, I, I swear, as far in as I look, and Tanner just brought this up, so I'm sorry to bring it up again. The further I go into the weeds, into that straw, looking for the thing that's that's like attached and, and I could be certain of. Uh, it, it It just goes back and falls into, the only thing I can be certain of is I think, therefore I am. And the rest of it is completely dissolved. And the rest of it is just nothingness. And I can't be certain of any of it. Truly. And the whole discussion that we're currently having becomes, I don't know what.
0: Well, I mean, so Trevor, my rebuttal to that would be, is it possible that humans are just gross and unreliable?
1: Sure, sure. But that's the same. Our words, morality in other is words gross and un- society and un- un-
0: loses yeah. the plot, or loses track of like what's right and wrong. Doesn't mean that doesn't mean that right and wrong have changed. It means that those people, that culture, has become a culture of something like a culture of lies. Uh, sure. Uh, you know. Sure. Uh, in in other words, like Stalinism would not be a culture of lies. It would be a culture for lies in other words it doesn't just mm-hmm. condone lies it uh, it it actively pursues Preach. lies you know what i mean in any case I, i'm just i would just like to say that as in the kind of the kind of bro science type of like uh, oh yeah all life is on like a 80 year cycle it's like no it's not uh, you know and I, I know mm-hmm. that's not what you're saying at all just because we lose the value of an idea only to be picked up later I don't think that that necessitates that it's relative. I just don't.
1: I, you know, I, that these are the exact claims I make in my own head to these strange thoughts that I'm currently projecting to the three of you right now, and anyone else who's listening. That's the exact claims that I make. But but there's a follow-up thought that I have afterward that that I find concerning. I, I, I think of a particular event that had happened once at a uh, philosophy club meeting, the old philosophy club, uh, where I there was a, that religious symposium. And uh, there was a religious symposium, sorry, where a whole bunch of religious people came together from all across our college campus, the four of us uh, came together uh, to discuss various religious topics. So that would be uh, just uh, various Christian ministries, a few Sufi Muslims, and just various groups, and also a whole lot of atheists, and just a lot of people arguing. And and there was one particular person who approached me and wanted to convince me of uh, Christianity. And and I was concerned uh, for the following point. This person was born into a Christian household, and those were the beliefs that they espouse. That's what they have. What are you to say to uh, somebody who's born in a Hindu household or a a Sikh household, lives an entire happy life, conceptualizing reality according to these means and these terms, lives a happy life, even has a couple children happily, and, and forms part of the structure of their society, lives and then dies. And all the while... They live in sin because they don't know that Jesus Christ is the only way to uh, to heaven, and they're currently burning in hell. What do you say to a person like that? Not only, it it, it's just so strange to me to, vis- to visualize that, because it just doesn't, it doesn't, when the, when the two ideas touch, they coagulate. There's just, they don't mesh. You can't be a Christian. It just sounds so ridiculous to me. And to me, the reason I bring all this up, to, that sounds really similar to the current, way of approaching it that you and i are currently having against this because i really want to have your opinion i really do i really 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 do but i really fear the possibility that what we're discussing right now the thing that we consider incorrect are just hindus and we're christians and and i consider that really concerning and i'm not sure where to hold on to Uh, truly uh, again uh, linear regression or not linear regression but like just regression uh, I I feel like we're f- uh, there's nothing I can hold on to, no wall, yeah, no yeah. nothing so that's pinned to the floor.
0: Uh, I I completely get what you're saying, I I, I really mm-hmm. do, and so you shouldn't feel as though you're the only one in this boat. In other words, there's a reason why Tanner and I will probably never go below two when it comes to objective morality. I, mm-hmm. I don't I don't think it's very. In, in other words if any of us had said, number one, I, I'd have been questioning something very, very deep about that person, like, uh, you know, how informed are you? You know what I mean? I'm a teacher, and students come in to my classroom all the time, and I say it on multiple occasions On uh, you know, during the week. They will come in, ask me a philosophical question, or posit a claim. Now, usually it's positive a claim they're students they're young they don't really know any better and uh how will that conversation go i usually end up telling them you're philosophically confused and i mean it and and they know that i'm not being mean about it they know that i'm not being dismissive i'm literally telling them that they do not have enough information and i'd, li- I'd really like to hear brayton talk about what trevor just talked about how what do you say to that argument like perhaps we are the uh, are the christians and they are the hindus or you know replace that with xyz perhaps we believe in the duck and they believe in the rabbit flag you know what i mean it doesn't matter what do you say to that braden
2: uh well a lot has been said and i oh i really liked that christian hindu example like at first i was like where is he going with this and then really well really well tied together with the whole thing um rounded out right to that I, you know, just off the top of my head, I think because of my particular position, I have to say that while I know that that was an analogy, I think if I'm going to talk about that, the specifics become very important because somebody who is a Christian and somebody who is a, a Hindu or a, or a Sikh or, or, or whatever are going to have a very particular view of morality that is more than likely associated with their God gods, as opposed to myself, who would tout a secular humanist uh, framework about human well-being. So when talking about, say, just taking the Christian, for example, their morality and their framework is going to be pertaining to uh, the Judeo-Christian God. Uh, and whatever that God wants, whereas mine is going to be pertaining to human well-being. And so not everybody is a Christian. So already by default, I feel that my moral framework encapsulates more people, not to dive into a utilitarian rabbit hole, but that's part Uh of it. My moral framework encapsulates more people because I believe that everybody who is alive to some degree cares about their own well-being whereas not everyone who is alive believes in the judeo-christian god and is a christian Uh, so already my moral framework is applicable to more people than an opposing moral framework that's my first thought uh, about that. Now, there was a lot of other stuff said that I, oh man, I was really itching to get in there, but a lot of good stuff was being said as well. The straw thing with the uncovering the straw because there's something in there. There's a pearl in the oyster that we want to find, but we just can't keep getting to it. There's just, it's oysters all the way down and no pearl. The way I, I even had to doodle something on my little note paper, which if you can imagine it is two lines incredibly far apart that begin to converge closer and closer together, but never quite touching. And it's like almost like they are pointing the arrow of time. And within that wider distribution of those lines, I see a bunch of little groups. And those groups are the different societies of our history, all with their own little ideas of moral foundations and moral frameworks, all trying to uncover that straw and figure out what is the right moral system. And as they go along, that uh, width, those lines get ever closer and closer together because we start, as was said, removing things. We start finding out things that don't work. You know, we found out that cannibalism didn't work. We found out that sacrificing people to appease the sun gods didn't work. We found out that slavery didn't work. We found out multiple different things. And as time goes on, our morality evolves and we discover more and more things that do not work kind of like science you know it's never out to say what's true it's what to say what's not true Uh, and so those lines just keep getting closer and closer together we get closer and closer to uncovering all that straw and seeing what is truly beneath and we've talked already about all of these what are these ideals that have been prevalent what are you know tanner mentioned this uh, before we went on that long discussion what are those things that we care about that have been prevalent can we list them And I think I could list them. And I think they all fall under the umbrella of human well-being. We care about our health. We'd rather be healthy than ill. We care about uh, being able to eat food and consume water uh, because these are good for our well-being. We care about having a roof over our heads. We care about having fulfillment and meaning in our lives. We care about all these things that ultimately boil down to our own well-being. And that has been there all along because if it hadn't, we would not have survived And so I think even the things that you mentioned, Stephen, and I think you all echoed it at some point, liberty and freedom, these are values that we care about. And these are things that we have been taking things out of our treasure chest of moral history and throwing things out and liberty and freedom in the United States, at least, have remained because we have determined that those are important for our well-being. So yeah, I mean, can we ever remove enough straw and find that pearl or, or, you know, remove enough oyster and get inside of the crux of what this is all about? Maybe not, because our morality is going to evolve, just like we talked at the beginning about veganism and things like that. Maybe that's a piece of the straw we haven't tossed out completely yet. Maybe some of us have, some of us clearly haven't. But maybe in 200 years or so, that'll be another inch on those two converging lines that's that's been uh, nicked away. Ultimately, I feel like everything is, is pointing towards my framework, but I, you know, I know that you all don't necessarily agree with me. I just, I really, oh man, I really had to get all that out there. (laughs) Sure.
3: Yeah. I mean, I would agree that innately we are all moving toward a very similar goal. I mean, moral theory, I would imagine is convergent to an extent
0: there are detractors, of course. I mean, we mentioned a few. But, um, of course, we could we could easily say that the forces of radical religious groups are, are detractors. You know what I mean?
1: Well, I, I, the, the way I've seen this, this conversation go so far, I, I, I see the three of you being a very strong two, uh, according to that scale that Stephen had uh, begun with. I, it seems to me that the three of you have gone in a direction... And I really want to join you. I, I really do. I, I feel uh, a, a serious want to be able to join you. But uh, that one particular claim that Brayton made was really interesting. Uh, or that one way of, that analogy he used, where he drew these two lines. And the further, uh, the f- you try to get these lines closer, but they never actually quite touch. And if you look upon this at like a scale, you'll see civilizations working their way towards the center. And that's one way of visualizing this. And there is as if something that it's moving towards. What if, and this is the way I feel about this. What if you're just looking at a direction and then running at it? What if you just see something and then run towards it and then see something else run towards that? I don't see, for example, that mint thing mentioned earlier with vegans and how one day eventually in the future, they'll look back at us and see us as disgusting. They'll see us as this. Well, when I made that claim, I didn't at the same time, I didn't say that I was a vegan, nor did I want to be. nor did I think that there were any moral qualms with being a vegan or with being someone who eats a steak every now and again, if not uh, religiously. I- I'm not convinced of the direction that I see the whole un- uh, the whole society at large moving towards. I'm not convinced of it. it. It seems to me that we're fixated on a couple key points within our way of thinking. And I think they themselves are vicious. For example, this whole vegan philosophy. Uh, If you didn't know, uh, if anyone's not familiar, there's a religion called uh, Jainism, I think we've already mentioned it, uh, that essentially believes, uh, or uh, I'm actually not too familiar with what they believe, but I do know that if you become a very aggressive uh, Jainist, you'll find yourself sleeping with cheesecloth over your mouth so as to not breathe in and suck in a uh, bug. And you watch every step you take so you make sure not to step on anything. And you only eat fruit which has fallen from the tree uh, no other exceptions you value life to such a degree that you quite simply can't live uh, your, your way of interacting with reality has become so constrained that your very act of seeking happiness is now impossible you've you've taken this one way of visualizing and interacting with reality that is to say valuing life and a, a, just like yeast eating up all the sugar in a bottle uh, resulting in its own suffocation and death you die and i think I think we have certain points that we fixate upon, and we run at them as fast as we can, just like these two points, and you're running towards them. It's it's almost like light speed in that one movie, uh, Star Wars, you know, where you go further and further and further and further towards the center of it, and and, and it seems like you're going towards something worthwhile, but I, I I can't see a reason why you would ever want to run them in the first place. Uh, you do it because you want to do it because you want to do it. And and the same thing can be said for all ways of visualizing this moral system, whether it be for the sake of liberty, the sake of life. And just like that, you have conflicts. I think that's what conflict is, if I could answer that question. Because that's that's where you see like abortion, for example, a conflict between two moral systems. They ran themselves to their collective conclusions. And just like that, we have uh, argument and, and very serious argument too. You have groups that surmise that life is the more important position, And others that say it's liberty, and just like that, you have conflict. But I think all of it is just you do it because you do it because you do it. I I can't say that I'm a two or three or a four for that matter. I'm not. I I really want to be. A lot of the time, when I'm sitting alone, I think I am. Not most of the time, but not all the time. It's it's really complicated, and I and I don't think we'll ever find ourselves certain of anything. To kind of plug in there, you mentioned abortion there at the
2: end, and you said, you know, this may be an issue of conflicting frameworks. And I want to point out, just for the sake of all these terms flying around in this episode, you can agree on the same framework. I believe, obviously, as established that my framework is human well-being. And there could be somebody who's pro-life, that has the same exact moral framework, but we disagree on what constitutes you know, life or whatever whole unpackaging of the abortion debate in there. Uh, But I think you all understand what I mean by that. Defining terms is also equally as important. So even though you agree with somebody on a framework, you may entirely disagree on what exactly all the terms within that framework mean. So that's just another step on top of that. But Trevor, you were talking about, you know, what are we running towards? It feels like Correct me if I'm wrong, we're just running in arbitrary directions all throughout history looking for something that we may not
1: even know what we're looking for. Sure, Uh, but I don't think it's one thing. I think we're just constantly running in directions for all sorts of things. There's not an overarching uh, super point that we all ought to be going towards. It's just that we're all running for the sake of running at that particular moment because it's fun. Sure. Sure.
2: And so I think a lot of that is is a mixture of things. Obviously, we're going to be running in a particular direction as a society or a civilization based on, uh, you know, needs and wants, things of that nature. Uh, But also, as I mentioned earlier, there's going to be evolutionary factors that are playing upon us at the same exact time as we are making decisions about morality and about what we want for our future and for our children and so on and so forth. And so I think we end up, whether by our own hand or nature's hand, so to speak, driven in a particular direction that isn't so much arbitrary as it is just a combination of the elements around us. And we do have a hand in it. I think the arbitrary element may come from the fact that while we see that analogy earlier about pulling the straw off the top of something, uh, we see that as a direct, you know, action by a conscious agent. Like, we are pulling the straw off and uh, deciding that certain things don't work anymore. Well, it's also uh, evolutionary things that have taken straw off. Uh, not necessarily ourselves. Maybe we observe uh, things that were a product of evolutionary processes and, and wrote those down in our morality notebook. Uh, But at the same time, one of the things about the sketch that I drew in my book is that, you know, you have all these bubbles of societies and civilizations in the much wider distribution of the lines. And as those get closer, those societies get closer and closer. And eventually you have, you know, globalization where like today, we are aware of pretty much every other society on the planet and we have the internet and we're all interconnected and so we can see what other people think about morality and we can understand what other cultures value and how they, you know, even Stephen brought up Stalinism and, you know, all now we can peer into the, you know, the fishbowl of other civilizations and make evaluations about them as well and eventually if there is some sort of global society or global government, then that will be the new singular bubble that encapsulates uh, the space between those two lines. However, like I said, even within those, there's going to be disagreement. But perhaps at that point, there will be, you know, maybe one or two different things that people view as good moral frameworks and foundations. But Maybe by that time we'll have whittled it down to something such as human well being, and almost everybody on the planet is a humanist or something of that nature. But, you know, like I said, these things, morality is evolving ever and always.
0: I would like to hear some closing remarks from Tanner, I think.
3: If he has more to say, it, <laughs> honestly, I have increased in my relativistic stance from a two to a three. There's a good bit of my initial thoughts in my initial position that I believe I need to rethink for the next time we go into this.
0: For sure. And that's very big of you to say. I mean, you know, um, something, for those of us listening, something that we four have gotten very accustomed to is just totally, you know, no holds barred, just admitting when we're wrong or or, or you, you know and and of course some of us will be better at it than others but uh largely speaking us uh, you know for here know when it's time to say i i was wrong or know when to say i need to reevaluate reevaluate and so my closing remark there would be hopefully anyone who's listening um you join the discord you join the discussion you come on board and you test your ideas. And that has been Four Mortal Coils on Objective Morality.
1: Oh, you know, we should probably mention the Discord. This is the first time we brought it up officially. Uh, we're going to go live after this episode. So if anyone's interested, uh, the Discord will go live. Uh, we should probably look into a way to get people to have access to it. Uh, mm. It'll probably be accessible. Uh, we'll, we'll have an Instagram. Uh, we'll do some stuff on YouTube. And we'll have a link put somewhere so you can access it. Put it in uh, the description you, of the
3: video.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think that that'll work. Maybe Discord won't like that, but we'll find a way to get it to you as quickly as we can. And uh, yeah. To be continued.